13, uh, verses 32 to 37. So we have finally come to the end of Mark chapter 13, after a long walk uh, through this chapter. And uh, these verses, just like um, most of the rest of the chapter, it's not easy to be 100% certain whether they refer to uh, the events of 70 AD when the temple was destroyed or whether they refer to the return of Christ. I'm sympathetic with the interpretation that says uh, that the whole chapter is about AD 70, but there are there's a place or two that I think you just can't square with that interpretation. Um, and uh, one of those places is verse 26, right? They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Um, but then also this final paragraph, though you could explain it, I think, in a way that relates to AD 70. I think it makes the most sense if it's about the return of Christ. So that's how I'm going to interpret it. Um, and uh, let, let me read these verses for us, and then we'll, we'll walk through them. Verse, beginning in verse 32, it says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So, um, it, again, it seems to me that uh, with verse 26 and verse 27, we are talking about the return of Christ. And that when we get to verse 32, we're still talking about the return of Christ. And Jesus' main point in verse 32 is uh, hard to miss. Right? And that is that nobody except God the Father knows when Jesus is going to return. Right? His disciples are not going to know. Right? Concerning that day or hour, he says, no one knows. You're not going to know. I cannot tell you the time when I will return. And it's not because... Um, you know, I'm keeping it a secret just from you. It's because nobody knows. He says, not even the angels in heaven know. Well, that's a big deal because there are some things that we don't know about that we assume the angels know about, right? I mean, their angels get to see God in his heavenly throne room and um, angels are sent out um, to minister to believers, right? Presumably receiving their instructions from God himself. Uh, there are some things... Therefore, about the spiritual world and probably about God's work in the world that angels know about that, that you and I don't know about. Now, there are also some things that angels don't know about, right? First Peter says that uh, when he's talking about our, um, our salvation, right, he says that these are things into which angels long to look. So uh, angels don't know what it's like to be saved. They don't know what it's like to be redeemed because angels are either fallen or they're not. Um, so there are some things, again, that angels know that we don't, but this is not one of them. The angels don't even know when Jesus is going to come back. 
he says, nor the Son. So Jesus says about himself, I don't even know. Now, um, that one's hard to get our mind around how that works, right? But before we, before we talk about that, let me just step back and say, um, it is baffling to me, absolutely baffling to me, that in the face of such a clear verse, there are people who will say that they know when Jesus is coming back, and other people will listen to them. This does not make any sense to me. right? And I think some people try to get around it by saying, well, Jesus said we don't know the day or the hour, but he didn't say we can't know the year. You know, that's not what he meant. Right? That's not how, that's, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to do sort of like an end around around what Jesus said. You're trying to find a loophole. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, nobody knows the time. Nobody knows the day, nobody knows the hour, nobody knows when it's going to happen. So if somebody tries to tell you that they think they know when Jesus is coming back, that's a good time to stop listening to them, right? Turn off the radio, return the book, find a different church or whatever, because they're not listening to Jesus. And if they're not listening to Jesus, you don't need to listen to them, right? So I just, I don't understand that, but it continues to happen. People continue to listen. But listen to Jesus instead. Jesus says nobody knows. None of us knows. The angels don't know. Jesus says he doesn't even know. Now, how do we... That, that sort of a, a poses a theological problem, right? How can Jesus, who is God, not know something? Well, let me ask you something. Yeah. Let me interrupt. Like, sure. No, it's fine. In the garden, this is almost a parallel. And he yeah. knew it was going to happen. Right. But he told the disciples, can't you stay awake? You need to stay awake because right. it's going to happen. Right. He, I don't know that he knew exactly when it was going to happen. Sure. That- like maybe he didn't know the moment when Judas was going to show up right. with the betrayers, but he knew it was coming. It was coming. Yeah, but maybe he didn't know the exact. Yeah, that would be a similar kind of idea. Yeah. How, how do we, and the, the, whole, the whole thing, right, the whole thing um, comes down to, this mystery, right, of the incarnation. What does it mean for Jesus to be God and man fully at the same time? How do both of those things happen? Right? And this, that, that would be an example, you know, if, if he doesn't know exactly the moment when Judas is going to show up. There's another example um, uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, chapter 2, this is um, sort of early on in the story about Jesus. And um, it says at the end of Luke chapter 2, so this is, this is after Jesus has um, stayed, in, stayed behind in the temple and his parents left, right? And they couldn't find him and they came back and were looking all over for him. And he says, well, you should have known where I was. Yeah, I mean, I was in my father's house. I got to be about my father's business. At the end of that chapter, verse 52 of Luke 2, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, we understand how he increased in stature. He's man. He's got a body. He's got to grow. But how do he increase in wisdom if he's God? Right. So this is the puzzle. And this is the the same thing here. How, How do we put these two two ideas together and in some sense it's a mystery in some sense it's beyond our grasp how is Jesus fully God 
and yet really and truly a man? How does that work? Um, Some people apparently tried to get around this problem by uh, removing it from the Bible. If you look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, the same idea is there, but you'll, um, depending on the version of the Bible you have or, or what, you know, um, what copy you have, uh, it might tell you that a lot of the, some of the early manuscripts don't have that phrase, nor the Son, uh, in their Bible. And that's probably because uh, some people thought, you know, I don't think that belongs in there. Either I'm uncomfortable with that, or I assume somebody else added that when they shouldn't have, or what, and so they erased it. Well, they didn't erase all of them, right? So we still know it belongs there. Um, but it is, and and one of the um, one of the principles of of textual criticism, where you, you know, so you take all the different manuscripts that you have of you know the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Mark or whatever. You take all the manuscripts we have and you put them together, and there are slight variations in how do you decide which one belongs. One of the principles uh, that helps scholars decide how do we know which is the right reading if there's a slight difference is you almost always go with the harder reading. In other words, people were more likely to say, how can Jesus not know that? Erase. Than to say, you know what? Jesus said nobody knows, not even angels. You know what we should do? We should add the idea that Jesus doesn't know. That's super unlikely, right? So we know this belongs here. What do we do with it? Well, whenever you get into you know, seriously deep water like this, the best thing you can do is find somebody smarter than you and tell everybody what they say. So, um, I'm kind of hoarse that, though. <laughs> so I found uh, what is, and this is not something I've, you know, studied just a ton, but um, this is the best thing that I've, that I can remember reading on this subject. It's from J.I. Packer in his famous book, Knowing God, which sold, I don't know how many copies. He's a, a godly man and a prolific writer and um, faithful guy. And um, anyway, here's, here's what he says um, about the limitation of Jesus' knowledge during his incarnation. He says, <clears throat> his knowing, like the rest of his activity, was bounded or limited, we could say, by his father's will. And therefore, the reason why he was ignorant of, for instance, the date of his return, was not that he had given up the power to know all things at the incarnation, but that the father had not willed that, sh- that he should have this particular piece of knowledge while on earth, prior to his passion, that is, prior to his death. Jesus' limitation of knowledge is to be explained not in terms of the mode of the incarnation, but with reference to the will of the Father for the Son while on earth. Right? So what he's saying is... um, one of, the, one of the ways we try to explain this is to say, well, when Jesus became man, he must have just, you know, sort of carte blanche given up certain of his divine attributes. So he doesn't have omniscience anymore. He doesn't have this. He, he, you know, he sort of gave those up. And 
uh, I think what Packer's saying is ah, that's not the best way to understand it. It's not that Jesus has given away his incarnation. I mean, I think we can find places in the Bible where Jesus seems to know things that you wouldn't expect him to know if he was merely a man. Right? And certainly he can do things that only God can do, right? Um, so how do we explain it? And the way Packer explains it is to say God didn't want him to know. The Father, the Father limited the knowledge that Jesus had during his incarnation, not affecting in any way his deity, his divinity, anything like that, uh, not meaning that he couldn't at times know things that only God could know, right? but that he didn't know everything all the time right? because God had um, limited him that way, limited his knowledge that way. Um, so that that's the... If you're still kind of scratching your head and saying, well, I'm still not totally sure I get it. Well, me too. <laughs> Just don't feel bad. Um, but that that's the best thing I've come across as far as explaining uh, how that works. Yes, sir? That leads to the question, and that he's a right hand of the Father. Does he know there? Right. That's a really good question. Um, we don't know. I would be in, you know, part of me wants to say, surely, surely he knows now in, in his, uh, you know, ascension and exaltation. Surely he knows now, but maybe he doesn't. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's still, because um, he's, I mean, he's still incarnate. He's still man. But now uh, he's, like you say, in that exalted state and he's not limited in the same ways that he uh, was apparently limited here. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't have the interaction with the people anymore either. And yeah. So, you know, if he had known all of that, then there might have been a chance he would have told somebody that. Right. And then God didn't want anybody to know. Right. At that time. Right. So there's no problem with him knowing now. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Because he can't, he doesn't interact with people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I trouble just thinking that, because I've never thought of it in those terms, that Jesus was limited in any way. Right. I mean, this verse here, I've heard it a lot of times, that I've never thought of it. Yeah. That he was limited to, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I never thought of him as that way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's challenging to get, our our minds around because um, we know we like we don't want to say that he's limited in any way that diminishes his deity. You know, um, like I was um, I was reading something um, this afternoon that said that Ambrose, who uh, was the pastor who baptized Augustine and who was also a, a tremendous pastor and theologian and stuff in his own right um i think if i remember correctly it said that ambrose uh blamed this phrase on the arians who were heretics who denied the deity of christ ambrose was saying the arians must have put that in there right because <laughs> that's limiting jesus um and so we don't want to we don't want to interpret that phrase in any way that that diminishes the deity of christ um but we have to reckon with it in some way, and clearly, it's saying there's something that Jesus doesn't know. And so that's why I think that explanation of saying, 
the Father, who also, obviously is also God, the Father and the Son, who are in perfect communion, always have been, always will be, um, that the Father in some way um, sort of proscribed you know, the limits of what he wanted Jesus to know during that particular time, uh, I think explaining it that way doesn't, uh, doesn't diminish his deity, but, it, but, it, but gives us an explanation that helps us understand it in light of him still being fully God, you know, but again, there's no, it's one of those things where I've not read anything that removes all my questions, you know, I've not read anything that, that makes me go, oh, I don't even know why I had trouble with that in the first place. It's so simple now, you know, it's still a, a very complex, uh, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of times we think that he, he went, when he was 12, he went off to the temple mm-hmm. and he was preaching. Uh-huh. My Bible uh, describes it as him going to the temple and sitting with the people, I guess elders or whatever, uh-huh. listening and asking questions. Right. And the people that were there were amazed at his understanding and his, uh, his, his they said they were amazed at what he knew and what he was able to just kind of right. know about questions he was asking. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking maybe that's where this all fits in. Says he increased in wisdom yeah. by being amongst people, which he was a man or his boy. Right. He was amongst the man culture. Yeah. And he increased in the wisdom and the stature with the people. Yeah. That, that kind of went together with that. Yeah. But it wasn't like a big grand, you know, grand statement about him. It was kind of like this is where he was in yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, not that he didn't know everything, but like you said, God put him there. He wanted him to be who he was. Yeah. And so they started thinking, this boy's very smart. Yeah. They didn't really go past that. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, you know, for for it to say that he increased in wisdom and he's there, like you're saying, asking questions in the temple. um, I mean, I think... That's how he he kind of did his his, his, uh, ministry was about asking questions yeah that's true yeah that's true and i think i think what we and and really this is a this is a great time of year to talk about this because um if you if you if you start looking for it you'll notice uh i think in a lot of our christmas hymns this tension between um talking about jesus's full deity and his real humanity, right? So why do we sing about a silent night and a baby no crying he makes, right? The reason we sing about that is because that's one way people have tried to say this child was different, he was God, you know? And maybe they're even saying, some might even be trying to say through that, you know, the reason children cry is because they're born into the world with original sin and Jesus was not. I mean, most of us don't think in those categories, but there have been people who do. So part of it is trying to say, is probably trying to say, like, this is a divine child. Um, but then I think there also ought to be a part of us that says, well, he was human. I bet he did cry. <laughs> I bet he was grumpy at times. You know, like when it's a baby, I'm sure he, like, called out for things, cried for things. I mean... He wouldn't be human if he just laid there. You know, but he was human. So, like, surely he got uncomfortable and had to cry, you know. Um, And so there's this 
tension that, again, I think you'll see, uh, that you can see in some of the Christmas hymns especially. How do we describe the fact that this is a real... So, like, there's, there's a Christmas song that I love, um, and um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, but anyway, the first line of it is, it was not a silent night. And the point of that song is to say, um, this was a very human experience, right? Mary's delivery of this baby was like, just in, in most ways, like every other delivery of a baby, you know? Um, and yet, and yet there's this beautiful um, line in it where it says, um, the baby in her womb. It's talking about how, you know, Mary, I think, was afraid and all this stuff. But it says, but the baby in her womb was the maker of the moon and the author of the faith that could make the mountains move. So it's trying to say, like, this is a very human moment, right? This is a child literally being born into the world, and yet the child being born into the world is the creator of the universe. How do you, the creator of the universe is, is going to cry, and it's going to be hungry, and it's going to need to be rocked to sleep, and yes, and he's going to have to, he's going to go to the temple and he's going to ask questions about the Bible and, and grow in wisdom and grow in his stature with the people and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I thought he was God and I thought God knows everything. Yeah. How do you put those together? Yeah. Mo- moving on. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Bonnie has a song that she, that she wrote and it's just beautiful. It's called the mystery. Yeah. And a lot of things I look at, like it just has to be a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't, I mean, we just don't know how to get our brains around something like that that's unlike everything else that we know. And we have, it's totally outside of our experience. Well, even another moment is like when he's 30 uh-huh. and his ministry begins and uh-huh. Mary's going, do something. Right. About this, there's no wine. Right. And you almost get the feeling that, that he doesn't even know that that's the moment his ministry starts. Yeah. Until she calls yeah. him out, and yeah. I don't know. It's almost like he has moments like we have, where because he's human, because he's human yeah, yeah, and that he was just, you know, he was thirty. He was, uh, yeah. You know, if if we have the chronology right, he was thirty, and right. he's, he's, you know, already in this other profession, yeah, and he's kind of, but he's grown in wisdom and knowledge, and right, and that's not. You know, if Mary had the baby at 13 or 14 or yeah, whatever. right. It's just so, you do get the feeling that there's a, we see dimly. And maybe yeah. he saw dimly. Yeah. Sometimes, because we're not allowed, to, he's not allowed to even see. Yeah. Which is kind of nice in his humanness yeah. that, that he didn't have all of that knowledge too. Yeah, sure. I just wanted to turn around. It makes him relatable to us. And, you know. Don't you think it's partly the the Lord had a hedge of protection around him? Mm-hmm. You know, sure. he was fully human. Yeah, the Lord protected him from a lot of yeah, maybe so of things in this world. Yeah, yeah, because he had a purpose. Right. Yeah, and yeah, and in in the wedding scene that you're talking about, I mean, it there it's if I remember correctly, it seems like he says it's not my time yet. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, but then he does it anyway. So sometimes I feel like we have this, we have this sort of rigid view of, uh, of how Jesus's ministry and Jesus's relationship with the father was supposed to work out. And it wasn't, 
you know, there, there was a humanness to it that we don't often think about. And, and uh, you know, people, people all throughout the history of the church have struggled with this. And, and we tend to swing from one side to the other, you know, and overemphasize one or the other at different points in history. Um, and so the, the challenge is just to try to keep them both together, you know, and not uh, rule out one or the other or so emphasize one that you almost negate the other one. Um, but yeah, thinking about those things helps you go back through some of those stories and, and, and it gives you sort of a different lens. Um, but to, I mean, like, like Hebrews says that um, Jesus suffered when he was tempted. You know, and, and if, you, if you overemphasize the deity of Christ, then you say, no, he couldn't have suffered when he was tempted. I mean, he's God. What would temptation have to, I mean, there, what would temptation have to do with him? I mean, he'd just brush it off like Superman brushes off bullets. You know, this is no big deal. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he suffered when he was tempted, meaning it was hard. Right? It was a struggle. I mean, you see this in the garden, right? When he's praying, asking for this cup to pass from him. He's, he's not like, well, I'm God. If you want me to die on the cross, no big deal. You know, I can handle it. That's not at all how he's approaching it. He's begging for a different plan if there's another option. It's a very human thing to do, right? So um, anyway, yeah, so it's, it is, uh, it's, it's a mystery, right? And like I said, it's a good time of year to be thinking about that mystery because that's what we're remembering. That's what we're celebrating. What does it mean that God became man? And we would never, we'll never exhaust that, obviously. But um, anyway, um, okay, so the, there's, that's the first um, main point, right? Is that no one knows except the Father. And it's important to say the Father does know, right? So there is a time. There is a plan. There is an appointed hour of Christ's return, and God knows what it is. God's always known what it was going to be. And so there's no, uh, there's no uncertainty on God's part about when this is going to take place, but we don't get to know about it ahead of time, which is good, right? Because um, if, uh, if you were back in school, right, and your teacher said, um, you know, you can take notes or not, I'm not going to give you a test until the very end of the semester. Well, what are they going to? What are your students? What are, what are you going to do as a student for the first six, seven, eight, nine weeks? Shoot, he's not going to test me. He's not going to quiz me. Why do I bother taking notes and studying and all that? And then you're going to try to cram at the end and catch up with all the stuff that you missed. But if your teacher says uh, every week we're going to have a quiz, right? Some weeks we might have two. I have a pop quiz one day, so. Just word to the wise, probably a good idea to take notes and keep up with what we're talking about. Then you're going to be vigilant, right? If God said, here's the date of Jesus' return, what most people would probably do is say, up until the day before that day, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then I'll try to get it all sorted out and confessed and, you know, repented of there right at the last minute. You know, try to get everything right just, just in time. That's what, I mean, a lot of people think that about their own lives, right? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll repent when I, when I get old, you know. When, when my, I'm going to do what I want to do for a while. And then when my life is near the end, well, then I'll get right with God. That's how people are inclined to try to approach it. And so it's a good thing that God didn't tell us when Jesus is coming back, or that's how probably most of us would act. 
So uh, instead, because we don't know, Jesus' next point, and this is all of verses 33 to 36, is just all different ways of saying the same thing, is you need to be ready all the time. Because you don't know when I'm going to return, you need to be ready all the time. So he says, be on guard, keep awake, for because you do not know when the time will come. And then he gives us an illustration. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he comes suddenly and find you asleep. In other words, if the master of the house leaves and says to the guy who keeps the door, I don't know when I'm coming home, you make sure you're awake when I get here, His job is not to go lay down on the couch and hope he wakes up just before the master gets back so he doesn't know that he's been sleeping all night. His job is to stay awake so that whenever his master comes home, he's ready to open the door. In other words, he's supposed to do his job all the way up until the time that his master returns. That's Jesus' point for us. Obviously not that we should literally stay awake until Jesus comes back. This is, that's impossible, and that's not his point. His point is, you be doing what I've called you to do until I return. Don't go you know, nodding off, falling asleep on the job, doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing because you think, I won't know because I'm not coming back. You do what I told you to do and be doing what I told you to do until I return, right? That's why he says at the very end, verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, not just his disciples, but to everyone, stay awake. It doesn't mean, right? It doesn't mean go, you know, sell all your possessions and rent an RV and go find you a hill and stare at the sky until you see the signs of Jesus' return. Right? And don't go to sleep. You know, keep watching. That's, that's not what he means. What he means is, I've given you a job. I told you to preach the gospel. I told you to love each other. I told you to build churches. I told you to you know, or make disciples. Or I told you to do all these things. Right? You've got plenty of stuff to do. And you've got a lot of stuff that you're going to be tempted to do that you're not supposed to do. What I'm telling you is, do the things I gave you to do. Be vigilant. Be faithful until I return so that when I come back... I find you where you're supposed to be, doing the job that I left you with. Um, and uh, that's the goal, right? So um, being gathering together on Sunday to study the Word, that's part of staying awake, right? Being people who pray, being people who read the Bible, being people who love each other, who tell other people about Jesus, who uh, you know, try to teach and train your kids and your grandkids, and who go to work and provide for their families, and uh, all, that, all that stuff that the Bible says that we're supposed to do that's part of the normal, regular Christian life, that's the stuff Jesus is encouraging us to do here. It's not anything radical, right? It's just, it's normal. Just do what I called you to do, and be doing that when I come back. Uh, that's the way that you show that you're ready. So, 